All right, so I just need to go ahead and take a quick poll of who is in the room. So I just need to know, raise your hand if you have ever been in a relationship, are currently in a relationship, or hope to be in a relationship one day. Anyone, put them up. Okay, yeah, so pretty much the whole room. So that's great. You guys are in the right place. And hey, if I haven't met you before, my name is Beth, and I am on staff here at The Living Room. And we are jumping into a brand new series today called Dating in a Swipe Right Culture. And our hope is that we can all become better daters and that we can, uh, that we really in this process of this series can help you to become better at dating. And I think if we were to all take a minute and reflect on ourselves and our life, we could all admit that there is maybe some areas of our dating life where we need some help. There's probably some things that we can work on, probably some things that we can get better at. Um, I know I can. I'm 27, and I still need a lot of help navigating the dating, dating world. So I think we can all get a little bit better at it. And when I was in college, I, like, really needed help navigating the dating world, like, Dating in college did not go well for me, so I'll, um, I'll actually just let you in on my dating life in college. It's a little embarrassing, but whatever, it's fine. I like you guys, so I'll just go ahead and share it with you. Um, so I actually went to college not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, so I decided that I was just going to go get my MRS degree, and I don't know if you know what that is, but that is where, okay, some of the ladies in the front know, they're like, yeah, I got you, I'm with you. Um, it's where you go to college for one reason and one reason only, and that's to find your husband so that you can get the MRS in front of your last name if you're following. Got it. Hey, you picked up on it. So that's what I went to college for. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, so I was like, that's fine. I'll just find myself a man. He'll put a ring on my finger. I'll have some babies. He'll work, make money. I'll stay at home and raise the kids. Simple. I don't have to make a plan. Like, that works. Like, that sounds great. That's what I'm going to do. So that's what I went to college to do. And then I made two really big mistakes. The first is that I went to a college that had a male-to-female ratio of one to five. And I don't know if you understand, like, if you don't know if you remember how to do ratios, but that's one guy for every five girls. And I don't know if there's any math majors in the room, but that's really bad odds, like really bad. And I remember one time me and my friends, like, sat down and we, like, actually did the math. We were like, okay, wait a minute. So we went to a pretty small school. So that one in five came out to about 1,000 guys total on our campus. And we're like, wait, but that's not actually like the number of guys on campus that are dateable. That's just all of them in general. So we did math, and we're like, wait a minute. If we cut out the ones that are already dating someone, like cut those out. And they're like, let's be real. Some of them are just super weird. Like cut those out. And then we're like, and there's probably some jerks that like we just don't want to date. So cut those out. And by the time we did the math, we were like, guys, I think there's like five guys on campus that we can date. And then I started doing the math, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's like 12 girls in this circle. And so I'm like eyeing, like, who can I like win in a fight against? I'm like, it's about to be Hunger Games up here. Like, every girl for yourself, if you win, like, you get to pick one of the five. Like, good luck. So that was mistake number one. Mistake number two is that I majored in family and consumer sciences which some of you laughed, hey, because you get it. Some of you are like, I really don't understand why that's a mistake. That sounds like a legit major. And it does sound legit, but it's only because the title is long and it has science in it. Like, it has nothing to do with science. Um, family and consumer sciences is a fancy word for home ec. So I majored in home ec. Like, you know, I was on the mom train hard. Like, I sometimes don't even know how I am where I am and how I got to this point. I'm like, wow, it's, it's amazing. So hey, if you feel like you're in a really weird spot, there is like hope for you. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> So I, like, honestly, the Georgia Tech engineering majors in the room, like, I applaud you for the amount of work that you put into your studies and how much effort you put into it. Like, 
As a home ec major, the most engineering I did was in sewing class trying to keep the thread in the needle on the sewing machine. Like, I'm not kidding. And that is like, that's hard work. Have you ever tried doing that? Like, sewing class was probably my most frustrating, difficult class. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, I took sewing. Like, that was part of my major. So I don't know if you can assume this or not, but um, guys don't major in home ec. Like, they just don't. So I was in a major of 75 girls at a college where our male-to-female ratio was one and five, and honestly, guys at our school should have majored in home ec because there are 75 girls in there who felt like there was five guys on campus to date, so their odds were really good and our standards were really low, so there was a great <laughs> chance. So it didn't happen. I didn't get my MRS degree in college, and it quite turned out how I expected it to. And so because of the mistakes that I made in college, I am now with you, and I am also dating in a swipe right culture. So the struggles that you guys face, I get it. The things that you guys are dealing with, I get it. Like, I am right there with you. I am in it with you. And so all of us, myself included, are living in a culture where we have access to absolutely everything we need on this thing right here. And when it comes to dating, we have apps like Tinder and Bumble that are supposed to make it really simple to get a date. And beyond that, we have social media like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat that have also made it easier to get a date because hello, sliding into your DMs, like, <laughs> yeah, like it happens. And on some level, it's pretty awesome, mainly because you can completely stalk someone before you ever meet them or have a conversation with them. Like you can know their whole life, like you can look up their exes, their family, their interests. Like when you sit down on a first date, you're like, you're literally telling me nothing new. Like I found all of this out like five days ago. Like we all do it. And guys, for you, like you don't ever have to get up the nerve to ask a girl out in person ever again. And girls, you don't ever have to feel guilty for turning a guy down to his face. So I guess there's a few pros to it, but I think at the end of the day, like this device and all these apps and all these things that were supposed to make dating easier, we would all agree that it hasn't actually made it easier, that it still feels really complicated to find a meaningful, long-lasting relationship. And it actually kind of reminds me of Ikea furniture. Anyone been to Ikea? Anyone in here? Of course you have, because it's like the cheapest furniture ever. So where else are you going to get stuff for your dorm room and your apartments? Like, I'm with you. All of my furniture is Ikea because it's cheap. And when you go to Ikea, you walk around the showroom, and the showrooms are awesome. Like, you get to see how they've set up living rooms and how they've set up bedrooms. And they have, like, all the product codes. So you just get a piece of paper or your phone. You write down what you want. And then by the time you get through the showroom, you go into the warehouse, and they make it super simple for you where you just have to, like, type in the product code in the computer and then it tells you what aisle and what bin, like what you're looking for is in. And then you just go to that aisle, you find your bin, you pull out the box and this massive piece of furniture that you wanted is somehow now compacted into this tiny box and you stick it on your cart, you check it out, you put it in your car, you go home, it's simple. And it's super simple until you get home. And then you pull it out of the box and you pull out in the, the instructions. And I don't know if any of you have ever like tried to put together Ikea furniture, but their instructions are terrible. Like terrible. Yes, we are all in agreement. That's great. Mainly because there's not like any words in it. Like it's just pictures 
and the pictures are terrible and like nothing in the box is labeled and my experience has always been that when I start putting it together I put the wrong pieces together and then once you get the wrong pieces together you have to take them apart but once you put the wrong ones together you can't take it back apart and then once you do get it apart it's broken and then by the time you've got it all together you're like I did it I'm done you have like five screws left and you're like wait a minute that's not supposed to happen and you're like I give up like it's impossible and so this whole process at Ikea, it's simple. The whole way through, it's simple, it's easy, and then by the time you get it home, you put it together, you're like, wait a minute, that was not as easy as I anticipated it being. That was not as simple as I thought it was going to be. And I think that for a lot of us, we would say, yeah, dating feels the same way, that we would all agree that right now in our culture, that getting a date has never been easier, but dating has never been more complicated. That we would agree that, that we have a lot of things that make getting a date really easy. That if you wanted a date right now, you could find one. You could get on a dating app, you could get on social media. That getting a date has never been easier, but dating has never been more complicated. And so why is that? Why does it seem more complicated now than ever to date? And I think that a lot of it has to do with our swipe right culture and the culture that we're living in. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight is kind of this overview of, of what is a swipe right culture and what does that mean for us and what does that mean for how we date. And so before we jump into that, though, I just want to set one ground rule for everyone in the room, and that's myself included. And that ground rule is this, to be honest with yourself. And my guess is that when you guys walked into a dating series, that you were probably excited about it for yourself, but that probably most of you in the room started thinking about someone else that you felt like really needed to hear a dating talk. You're like, man, they've like really got some work to do. Like they've really got some things that they need to figure out. And so my hope is that, hey, I hope they get something out of it. Like I hope that they are in this room and I hope that it means something for them. But I think what I hope more is that you're not so focused on thinking about someone else that you miss whatever it is that you need to hear in this series. And so would you just be willing, at least for just tonight, to just let your guard down and to be open and honest with yourself about where it is that we're headed tonight. And even for me, as I was writing this talk and as I was looking up this content, there are stuff in here that I was like, man, I feel like I'm just learning right along with you. So I don't have this all figured out. Like, I don't have it all together. Like, we are learning together in this process. So for just tonight, can we all just agree to be honest with ourselves? Can we do that? Awesome. So we can all agree that it's never been easier to get a date, but that dating has never been more complicated, and that a lot of that has to do with the culture that we are living in. So what is our swipe right culture telling us? And I think the first thing that swipe right culture tells us is this, that there are never-ending options. And so currently we are living in a culture where we have never been more connected. Like there has never been a time where it has been easier to, for you to connect with people across the country and to connect with people across the world. And we are now even living in a culture where we follow people on Instagram that we've never met, that we know nothing about. Like that's just become the norm that we are incredibly connected with so many people around us. And when it comes to dating with apps like Tinder, you can swipe right and swipe left all day long, and the options are endless. And it, would be, it begins to feel like maybe you're running out of options or you don't like the options that you have. All you have to do is widen your age range and then widen your search radius, and boom, <laughs> like you have plenty more options. So the options are endless. 
But because of that, I think now we struggle with, well, I don't know if I want to commit because, gosh, there's so much more out there. And it causes us to run away at the sign of the first flaw because, well, what if I can find someone else out there that, that maybe is perfect? And it makes us run when things get hard because, ugh, but like, what if there's something out there that's more fun and that isn't this difficult? And so never before have we been able to see all of the options that are out there. And because we have now seen all the options that are out there, we've had a lot of fun surface level flings but it's made it really hard to find long-lasting, committed relationships. And I think the second thing that our swipe right culture tells us is this, that gratification should be instant. On this phone right here, I can order Starbucks before I leave my house, and they will have it ready for me on the counter when I get there. Like, that's crazy. Like, it's instant. You can watch any show or any movie you want, with a DVR, Netflix, Hulu, or Amazon. Like, that's like four options. There's probably more that I'm not even thinking at, like Apple TV, Roku, I don't know. There's so many options. Instant. You can watch whatever it is that you want to watch. And because of Amazon Prime, like, I could, if I order at the right time, I can order something and get it day of. Like, that's crazy. Like, it is instant. Our culture is instant. And the same thing has become true of our dating life. Like, if you want to feel attractive, if you want to feel like someone is interested in you, swipe right on Tinder enough times and you're going to get a match. Instant gratification. Or post the right picture on Instagram to get the comments that you want or to get the DMs that you're hoping for. Do it enough. Find the right images. It's going to happen. Instant gratification. Or send the right Snapchat. Get the right Snapchat. Instant gratification. And honestly, it's a whole lot bigger than that. If you think about it in the bigger scheme, beyond just dating apps, beyond just social media, it is why 40 million Americans view pornographic websites regularly. And often we think about that as something that's just a guy issue, something that girls don't deal with, but that's not true at all because one in three pornography viewers are women. And we're going to talk a lot more about that later. Like, we're not going to touch on that a lot tonight. But I think just the reality of that, us even knowing that, is proof that in our culture, whatever we desire, whatever we want, whatever we feel like we need, that we can get gratification for it instantly. And when it comes to our relationships and it comes, when it comes to how we interact with people, When we begin to get used to the fact that we can have gratification instantly, we are going to see people as a means to our instant gratification. And that is going to change how we interact with them. It is going to affect how we talk to them. And when we begin to see this as a source of instant gratification, it's going to be really hard to not see this as a source of instant gratification. And so the third thing that swipe right culture tells us is that intimacy can be found through a screen. And just the reality is in our culture that we live in a culture of text messages and Snapchats. And I think that those are our primary means of communication. We do that far more than we pick up the phone and call each other. And so a majority of our communication is happening through texting, it's happening through Snapchats, it's happening through social media. And the weird thing is, and we know it's weird, but the weird thing is is that we can send a million texts and a million Snapchats to someone and we can feel like we actually know them before we've ever met them or had a conversation with them. 
And I think we also all know that it's true that we have way more confidence behind a screen than we ever do face-to-face. And so when we begin to just end up in relationships that are all texting and all Snapchat, what happens is that we begin to say things that we don't mean. So we say things faster than we would typically say them. We end up doing things quicker than we would typically do them. So it moves relationships faster than they would typically move, but it's off of a false sense of intimacy. And the more that we begin to hide behind a screen, the more that we begin to think that intimacy can be found through the screen, the harder it is going to be to actually begin to experience intimacy face-to-face. And so if this is the culture that we're living in, living in a culture that's telling us, hey, there are never-ending options out there, so why commit? Hey, gratification should be instant, and the people around you can be a means to an instant gratification, and that intimacy can be found through a screen. No wonder dating is so complicated. No wonder it's so hard to find a meaningful, lasting relationship. And I think that it would be really easy for us to blame culture on why dating is so hard. And I think that culture has perpetuated the problem. I think that it has definitely made it more difficult, but I don't know if culture is the source of the problem. Because who creates culture? People. And who created dating apps? People. And who created social media? People. And so all of this has perpetuated the problem, but if you look to the source, I think it's probably a lot bigger than that because we are the cause of all of it. That there's something happening in us that has caused all of this to take place in our culture. And so what is that? What is that bigger problem? What is that bigger issue? What is that underlying thing? And Paul actually talks about this problem in 1 Corinthians 13. And if you, um, honestly, if you've been in church before or have never been in church, you've probably heard this passage that Paul talks about. Because it's a passage where he is talking about love. And chances are you've probably heard it at a wedding before. You may have never even known that it came from the Bible. But Paul is talking to a group of people, and he is defining love for them. He's explaining what it looks like to love. And he's not even talking about it in terms of, like, dating relationships. He's just talking about it in terms of relationships, like, just among people. And so Paul defines love for them, and this is essentially what he says. He says, hey, love is patient, it's kind, it's truthful, it's protective, it's trusting, it's hopeful, and it's persevering. He says, hey, love is not these things. He says, love is not envious, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not dishonoring, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and love is not keeping record of wrongs. And so he's defining to them what it looks like to love. And then at the end of this passage, he ends the passage in a really weird way. He ends it with this. He says this. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And to talk to all these people about what it looks like to be in relationship with each other, what it looks like to interact with each other, what it looks like to love each other, he ends this passage talking about a child. And at first it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it actually makes a lot of sense when you begin to think about a toddler. And so this is a picture of um, my friend's daughter, Eleanor. And Eleanor is super cute, and she's normally really sweet, but she's clearly being, like, real bratty in this picture. Um, And obviously, Eleanor is, like, she's mad. Like, she's pretty angry and, like, irritated in this picture. 
and she's mad because she didn't get for breakfast what she wanted for breakfast. And I don't know if you can tell what's on her plate, but it is a chocolate chip waffle, bacon, and eggs. Like, who has ever been mad when somebody gave them chocolate chip waffles, bacon, and eggs for breakfast? Like, Eleanor. Eleanor's the only one who has ever been mad, but Eleanor's mad because Eleanor's too. And to Eleanor, there is nothing outside of her world. Like, it's Eleanor's world, and we're all just living in it. Like, if you walk in the door, your job is to play with her. Your job is to serve her. Your job is to do whatever it is that Eleanor wants you to do. And Eleanor doesn't want a chocolate chip waffle, bacon, and eggs for breakfast. I don't know what she wanted, but not that. And she can't think about the fact that somebody took time to prepare it for her. She doesn't understand that if she took a bite of that waffle, she'd probably actually really like it because there's chocolate in it. Like, when do you ever get chocolate for breakfast? Eleanor can't think that way because she is self-focused and she is self-indulged because she's two. And that's normal. That is psychologically normal for Eleanor to think that way. And it can be cute and funny because Eleanor's two. It's not so cute and funny when you're 18, 19, 20, 21. And I think for a lot of us in the room, hey, we would say, no, we've, like, we've grown up in a lot of ways. And you have. I mean, you're in college. For a lot of you, at least for a season, you are out of your parents' houses. You are making decisions on your own. You are learning how to have a job and probably how to pay some bills. Like, in a lot of ways, you have grown up. But I think that when it comes to our dating life, for a lot of us, we just haven't put the ways of childhood behind us. That just like Eleanor, in our culture and in our dating world, we have become self-focused and self-indulged. And because we've become self-focused and self-indulged, we can't get over the fact that there are endless options. We are fine with instant gratification and, and we're okay with hiding behind a screen for a false sense of intimacy because that protects us. Because it is about us. And so what do we do if we actually want to have healthy relationships, if we actually want to have meaningful relationships, if we actually want to step into dating in a way that matters, then what do we do about it? And Paul actually talks about this again in another passage. He actually talks about it in Philippians. And what's interesting is that when Paul is writing this, he again is, is not writing about love in terms of dating. He's just uh, writing about relationships in general. Because if you look throughout the Bible, you're not really going to find anything about dating specifically. It's just not there. It doesn't really talk about it. But it does talk a lot about how to treat other people. And so that's what this passage is talking about. It's talking about how we can begin to treat one another. And this is what Paul says. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. It seems really hard, right? Like, that's difficult. And it is really, really difficult. Like, that is not easy. Like, that is hard to do, but... What Paul is telling us, what Paul is writing in Philippians is he is saying, hey, 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 if you want more than just a fling, if you want more than just a hookup, if you want more than just what you're seeing in culture, if you want something that's meaningful, if you want something that's long-lasting, if you want something that's healthy, you're going to have to learn how to value others. 
And you're going to have to learn how to not just look to your interests, but to the interests of those around you. And you're going to have to learn how to put the needs of others above the needs of yourself. And you're going to have to learn that you're going to have to do what is best for others instead of just doing what is best for you. And the crazy thing is, is that what's best for others will always be what's best for you. It just will. When you begin to value others, when you begin to do what's best for others, it will always be what's best for you because what's best for them can't be what's worst for you. And so how, how do we do that? How do we do what is best for others? And I think that in order to do that, we're actually going to have to get a dose of self-awareness. Like, we're actually going to have to begin to understand that our actions have consequences and that the way that we treat people matters. And we're going to have to understand what it is that we bring to the table. And we're going to have to understand our thoughts and we're going to have to understand our needs and we're going to have to understand our desires. And we're going to have to understand that we have a natural pull towards selfishness and that we are going to have to actively fight against that selfishness. But in order to fight against that selfishness, you actually have to begin to recognize your selfishness. And so ultimately, we're going to have to understand this, that unawareness leads to selfishness. That unawareness, that not understanding your actions and how they treat other people, not understanding your thoughts, not understanding your needs, not recognizing that you have a bend towards selfishness, not recognizing any of that is always going to lead to the selfish decision. It just will. Because when you're not aware of your world and when you're not aware of the world around you, it is always going to lead to the selfish decision. So unawareness leads to selfishness, but self-awareness leads to valuing others. That when you begin to get aware of what you bring to the table, that when you begin to become aware of your actions, when you begin to become aware that the people on the other side of that scream have value, and the way that you respond and interact with them either adds value or takes value away, when you begin to understand that and recognize that, it will lead to you valuing others. And so how do we begin to do that? How do we begin to value those around us? And so as we close, I just want to give you three things that you can do to begin to combat selfishness with self-awareness. And the first thing you can do is this. Ask someone you trust, what is it like to be on the other side of me? And that is a really hard question to ask. And it's hard because a lot of times we don't want to know what's on the other end of that question. We don't want to know what people have to say. And it's a difficult one to ask, but it's an important one to ask. Because when you ask this question, it is going to begin to cause an awareness of you. It's going to begin to cause an awareness of maybe some areas of your life where you're selfish. It's going to cause an awareness of how you respond and how you interact to people around you. And I also think, though, that, that if you're scared of asking that question, I think you should also know it's not going to be all bad. Like, I think that there are probably a lot of things that you're doing where you already value people really well. And people are going to be able to tell you that. They're going to tell you the things that you're doing well and the way that you're valuing people and how you can continue to do that. 
But when you ask this question, you've got to be so careful of the people that you're asking this question to. So there's two people that you should ask. One is a trusted friend, and the other is someone who's a little bit older than you that you would consider to be a mentor. And these should be people who have known you for a really long time, not people that you just met this semester or just met this year, people who know you that you know love you, that care about you and desire to see you grow because they're going to be honest with you and their goal is going to help you to become a better person. And when you have this conversation, your goal is to not get angry, to not get defensive, but to just listen to what they have to say and to trust that their desire is to help you grow and to see you become better. And the second thing that you can do is this. Take time to reflect. Take time to reflect on your story. Take time to reflect on your life. Take time to reflect on how relationships have been modeled for you in the past and how that affects your relationships now. Take time to reflect on your past relationships and how that is affecting your relationships now. Take time to reflect on what you bring to the table. Take time to reflect on your story. Because when you begin to reflect on your past, it's going to help you to understand the present and it's going to better your future. So take time to reflect. And as you're reflecting, write down the areas that you want to grow. Write down the areas that you want to get better. Write down the things that you want to be, that you want to be different in. Because as you begin to write those down, that's how you're going to grow. To remind yourself of them, to know that they're there. So get alone and reflect whatever it looks like for you. Grab your journal, grab some coffee, type it on your computer. Whatever it is, just get away, get alone, and reflect. And the third thing you can do is look to Jesus. And I think it's really interesting that in that passage in Philippians, when Paul is talking to us about valuing others and putting others' needs above our own, right after that verse, he says this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Jesus. And if you're thinking, I don't know how to get rid of all of these things that I've learned from culture. I haven't had relationships modeled to me in a selfless way. And I don't really know how to begin to change this. I don't begin to know how to transform this. And I don't know where to look or who to turn to to model this. I think the good news for all of us is that we already have the best model that there is. And it's Jesus. That Jesus was the definition of of selflessness, that Jesus' entire life modeled valuing other people above himself, that he always looked to the best interest of others and not to the best interest of himself, that Jesus was incredibly willing to get really uncomfortable to make sure that other people were comfortable. And ultimately, Jesus died a death that he didn't deserve to give us a fullness of life that we certainly don't deserve. And so if you don't know where to turn and you don't know where to look, look to Jesus. Because he is the best example that we could have ever been given of what it looks like to value others above ourselves, to put their interests above our own, and to look to their needs before our own. And I think that if we would begin to do that, I think that if if we would commit to doing that, it would not only just change our dating lives, but it would change every relationship that we have. And I think that that is incredibly powerful. So Jesus, 
we thank you for what you modeled for us. Jesus, we thank you that you were someone who always put our interests above yours, that valued us above yourself. God, that you loved us enough to die a death that you didn't deserve, to give us a fullness of life that we don't deserve. And so, God, I pray that this week that we would be willing to ask the hard questions. I pray that we'd be willing to reflect. And, God, I pray that we would turn to you as the best example of what it looks like to be selfless. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.